So a palliative care physician in an acute hospital may be that person to say, doctors, we need to approach this patient and the family with one clear voice. And oftentimes they're like, well, I thought so-and-so would have said that to them or other people would have explained it. Hello, and welcome to What's Important to You, a podcast created by the Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice Center for Learning with only one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and the reach of diverse voices in healthcare. My name is Monica Escalante, and I am your host. I plan to give you intriguing insights on various topics, including end of life and grief. I want to open your minds to new perspectives on some often overlooked topics. Welcome. Today, I have a beautiful panel with me. Our topic for discussion is hospital-based palliative care. And I'm gonna let my panel introduce themselves. Let me start with Dr. Dunkel. Dr. Dunkel, tell us about yourself. Hello, I'm Dr. Dunkel. I'm board certified in family practice, and I have completed a fellowship in hospice and palliative medicine. I started working in geriatrics Um, in a clinic at George Washington University while I was still in college. Um, I like old people uh, and was interested in geriatrics. And after medical school, I elected to be a family practitioner. I've worked in family practice in rural settings, remote settings. I also have worked in occupational medicine and rehabilitation to really learn more about the changes that people go through in their lives due to accidents injuries and aging. After working in hospice for a number of years, I was being asked to come to a hospital and do palliative care, and I chose to do a fellowship so that I came out as an expert instead of learning on the job. I've been working at White Oak Medical Center since June of 2020, and um, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Dr. Dunkel. Dr. Schreier? Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, I'm David Schreier, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist. I spent 22 years of my career uh, practicing medical oncology, really learning about people, learning about diagnosis, treatment, prognosis, and I discovered that end-of-life care was the most rewarding, perhaps the most important aspect of my practice And so I knew that I would transition to um, palliative and hospice care at some point in time. For 10 years of my medical oncology practice, I was also the medical director of a small hospice. And then approximately four years ago, I became a full-time medical director of a, a large hospice. And I've been with Montgomery Hospice for the past year. So it's my pleasure to be here today to share conversation with my colleagues. And Dr. Schreider is also leading our community-based palliative care efforts. So we have now outpatient and the community-based, and we're going to be talking about that as well. Last but not least, our beloved Robin Ross. Please tell (laughs) us about you. Hi, everybody. My name is Robin Ross. I'm a registered nurse. And I'm working as a nurse liaison with Montgomery and Prince George's Hospice. I first was exposed to hospice during nursing school. 
um, and really became very interested in getting involved in um, the focus on comfort care. Um, as a nurse, I worked for several years in the usual and in, in the hospi hospital environment. I worked in critical care, worked in med surge, home health as well, and in um, rehab, subacute rehab environments. My first working experience with hospice was actually at Casey House um, in Rockville about 18 years ago. And there just began my journey. So now I'm working as a hospital liaison um, and talking to people all day, every day about hospice care, palliative care, and um, how it can help our patients and their families through a difficult time. Thank you very much. And one of the things about this panel is that you have seen the patient throughout the spectrum of care from primary care practice all the way to the inpatient unit at Casey House. So now we're gonna talk about coming back to the hospital. What would be a situation that would require a palliative care consult in a hospital, Dr. Dunkel? So there are about three levels of care that I can break that down to. I'm a physician, I'm trained in symptom management. So I may be called for a patient who is having difficulty tolerating side effects of chemotherapy to help optimize and manage nausea and appetite so that we can try and stabilize this patient and get them able to continue on their treatment and really help them have the best chance for best quality of life. Another thing I can be called for is someone who's got advanced disease, such that maybe shortness of breath weakness from a bad heart or bad lung are really causing them to have to make some significant changes in their life because of their limitations. And also look at medication that may be able to help. The third time I'm called is the hardest thing. When it's really medicines are not able to help heal, not able to help cure, and symptoms are really predominant or overwhelming. And so that's more of the end of life care that I can be involved in. So it, it goes throughout the spectrum. It could be someone pursuing treatment, someone experiencing side effects, or someone facing the end of their lives, uh, all potential triggers for a palliative care consult. So tell us how the palliative care consult enhances the quality of life of these patients in these three different cases. So I think with a person who has pain that is poorly controlled, having my expertise in managing pain therapies and setting appropriate expectations, helping that person understand this is where you are in a disease, this is appropriate use of medications, such that they may understand that it's not that we're not doing our best to treat them, it's that they need to allow their body more time to heal or they may need to look at changing lifestyle change going forward because of injury or damage to their body. And that's very helpful for patients with, with pain and life-limiting symptoms. Life-threatening symptoms can be shortness of breath, such that really it's, it's hard to dress, it's hard to bathe, it's hard to get around the house. That's a chance, we hope that if it's intermittent, and we can kind of control it in between episodes, that's a time for them to think about, hmm, 
what would I want to accomplish before I might lose more ability to do things? Time to think about maybe I should take a cruise, have that big second wedding, go on a trip, see family, see friends, shift gears from a project into, a, into maybe a hobby or a passion. So that's really a time where understanding where people are in a stage with a disease is very, very important. And then helping families understand where end-of-life illnesses such as dementia because of the degenerative process of the brain that we can't reverse. When it's time to help them understand, we have to think about protecting, protecting their parents, protecting their loved ones, not doing harmful things that can be done but aren't going to improve that person's quality of life, aren't really going to shield them from getting worse, and start to talk about what matters based upon their faith, based upon their family, and what they might need to plan for. Often at that time, it's really time to start talking about hospice if their lives are so severely limited that we think we wouldn't be surprised if their end of their life came in the next six months, just based upon a disease trajectory. Thank you. You gave us three beautiful examples. And now I'm going to turn to Dr. Spryer as to how can community-based and the other palliative care practices that you are starting at Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice can continue the work that doctors like Dr. Dunkel are doing in the hospital. Well, I think, you know, oftentimes when people are in the hospital, they're sick. They're there for a particular reason. They've either had an exacerbation of their congestive heart failure or their COPD, or they've had side effects from their chemotherapy, such as as Dr. Dunkel uh, discussed. So once you get the chance to get those side effects under control in the hospital, patients go back home. But what we can do when patients are at home is start to further discuss some of the things Dr. Dunkel was talking about, helping patients and their families refocus that lens. What was hope and what is hope now? Sometimes hope is for a cure, but because of the hospitalization or the treatments or the side effects, now hope is for comfort. And so we help our patients and their families understand that. Also helping them review what happened in the hospital. What are your recommendations? What do these tests mean? Um, how could the outcome contribute to your the disease treatment? Are they in line with your goals? Is this what you want? Dr. Dunkel used a wonderful term that I love to use, what matters to me? What I always try to find for my patients and their families is what matters. That helps me understand how I can build their care, how I can deliver the type of care that will treat a symptom, either a physical symptom, an emotional symptom, or perhaps help us start legacy work. Um, Dr. Dunkel referred to that, but you wanna start saying your goodbyes sometimes, and we're there to help you understand if hospice is approaching, how can that be a smooth transition? instead of a rocky or a bumpy transition. So it's sort of filling in the gaps of everything that happened in the hospital is very intense, very serious. And then when you're home, we're further explaining what happened. We're helping people understand and manage the treatment recommendations, side effects. One last quick thing is, for example, if you have an exacerbation of your congestive heart failure, 
for some people, they just don't know what foods carry sodium. And if we're in the home, we might be able to open up their cupboards and show them, oh my gosh, this Campbell's soup is delicious. But if you keep having this, you're gonna be back in the hospital in three days. Why don't we look at a different brand that has less sodium in it, that can keep you out of the hospital and, and keep you from having shortness of breath. So helping patients understand what their disease is, what matters to them, what trajectory they're on, explaining things. And what you're saying is that the doctors, the nurses, and the social workers, and the chaplains that are part of the community-based team that you have for palliative care, visit the home. Is that what you're saying, Dr. Shrad? So one of the most exciting things about Montgomery and Prince George's Hospice Palliative Home Program is that we have nurse practitioner, physician, chaplain, and social worker. So some of, well, all of those services are offered in the hospital setting, but rarely are they offered once you leave the hospital. So it, it's, it's incredible to think that the patient that you care for in the hospital that may have special spiritual needs, we can continue to care for those as an outpatient. If there's social things that are troublesome, bothersome, need to be addressed, we can continue to do that. Because hospitals, there's a cutoff point. It's sort of like a drop off. Once you're out of the hospital, the people that are caring you for the hospital aren't going to continue to care for you. So we wanna pick up the ball and continue that, that, that care. That is great. And for those who are not ready for hospice yet and are in a different trajectory. But now, Robin, let's talk about those who are eligible for the breadth of services that is hospice. Tell us about how would you handle a patient and what are the kinds of services that they would have should they choose hospice? Sure. Um, with hospice care, if, especially if we're talking about a patient who has Medicare as their insurance, but really we don't turn people away based on their ability to pay. So in the end, the care that is offered is uh, for hospice at home. We have nursing, social work, chaplains all coming to the home, possibly also aid support coming into the home. We also offer equipment delivered to the home, hospital bed, oxygen, wheelchair, bedside commode, things like that. For a patient in the hospital, my goal is to get those things delivered before the patient returns home and that way it's ready and waiting for them when they return. Um, also, all comfort medications are covered as well. So we're talking about two safety nets that we are offering to patients leaving the hospital. One is palliative care and the other one is hospice for those who are um, sicker and with a very serious illness. Um, Dr. Dunkel, I would like to know how can palliative care help the other doctors in the hospital assess when it's a good time to discharge the patient? Okay, so the, when I think about the first part of that, one of the issues with physicians is we really wanna respect other physicians' relationships. And most of the time that's gonna work, but as we get into a person who may have kidney disease, heart disease, vascular disease, which is where blood vessels are bad, say in advanced diabetes, and their primary care physician, no one may realize the patient isn't grasping the big picture of the interrelatedness of the condition. Here in the hospital, we're always thinking, 
the primary care physician is really the person who has that long-standing relationship. Unfortunately, the primary care physician may be thinking, I need the cardiologist to tell us, or the vascular surgeon needs to speak up and say, you know, this amputation is going to be followed by another amputation. So a palliative care physician in an acute hospital may be that person to say, doctors, we need to approach this patient and the family with one clear voice. And oftentimes they're like, well, I thought so-and-so would have said that to them or other people would have explained it. I may be the first to say, no, it's just we're going to need to do it here because the family hasn't heard it from the primary care physician. We're the experts in acute care. And then we provide that, we start that message. With the other part of your question about then how it helps in the transition to home, when we can communicate that to the family and if we can get a warm handoff to a community palliative care group who can then be ready to continue and say, you know, does it make sense to do another amputation when the last one took a month to recover and you nearly died because of the side effects in your body was so weak. So this is where really acute care in the hospital with palliative is very valuable. Monica, I wanted to add something to what Dr. Dunkel had to say is I think of this also sort of as a visual. So if you have a three-legged stool, the stool, the seat of the stool would be the patient. One leg of the stool would be really the hospitalists or the primary care doctors or the cardiologists or the surgeon, whoever is do managing all of these chronic diseases. The other one is your palliative care physician who helps communicate with the primary care team as well as the patient. So they're connecting those. The hospice is the third leg because people don't wanna be surprised by hospice. The last thing you wanna do is sort of come in to the hospital thinking you're okay, you have a disease exacerbation, your hospital team sort of does your amputation and basically in the back of their mind say, hey, your hospice appropriate, we're gonna refer you to hospice. So Dr. Dunkel referred to a smooth landing, a soft landing. Um, I think we use that gentle the journey at our hospice. And if you've got a great palliative team, you've got a great hospice team, you have a great primary care team, you can support that patient. So eventually you're not gonna need the inpatient hospital doctors, nor will you need the palliative care doctors in the hospital. And eventually you won't need the home palliative team, you'll need the hospice team, but it's a gradual decline. And when we all work together, that stool, that patient gets supported and it's a gradual landing into a peaceful, dignified end of life. So I look at it as a continuum. And I think the exciting thing about at least outpatient palliative care is we didn't used to have hospital-based palliative care, Dr. Dunkel can attest to. Now we're so fortunate to have him and his team, but now we're developing that place for him to hand off to. Instead of just losing the patients at discharge and hoping and praying they get better, he can entrust to us that we will help them. And then in turn, we can trust our hospice colleagues when appropriate for the patients and their families. Right, and sort of we're talking about ideal uh, discharge planning, right, where the handoff is gentle to the next organization. And Robin, I want you to talk about the handoff when the patient is ready for hospice. How do you handle that in terms of discharge planning with the hospital? With the hospital? 
So um, I can receive a referral from Dr. Dunkel or from a case manager at the hospital. And when I say a referral, usually it entails a phone call and sharing some clinical information with me. I look that over to make sure that um, we're all on the same page. And if not, then I start the conversation with the patient and or the family to talk about also just to support what probably Dr. Dunkel has already eloquently said in what are their goals? What do they want moving forward? And if I'm hearing, I, I want to go home. I want to be comfortable. I want to be with my family. Then that's what I start trying to lay the groundwork for that goal whatever their goals are, I try to support them in that. So if their wants and desires aren't in line with hospice at this point, then I do refer to our palliative group to follow up and support that person until they are ready. Part of what I do is I also communicate with the hospital staff as far as what the plan is, what I'm hearing from the patient or their loved ones. Um, I start to put into place, if we are moving forward with hospice, I order that equipment, I communicate with our team so that they can hit the floor running with an excellent care plan and get them on the schedule. My, My hope is always to get somebody admitted the same day they go home from the hospital, if at all possible. Right. And, and the great thing about hospice care is that there are no co-pays uh, under Medicare. Um, and and right. very reasonable for commercial insurance. Is the, so families are not having to pay out of pocket and things like that. But the other thing that I think you might see, Dr. Dunkel and Robin, in, in the hospital is those patients who uh, end up going back and forth to the hospital and don't make a decision. They are trapped in the revolving door of the hospital situation, unable to make decisions. What would you say to those patients and to the clinicians that are caring for them? Dr. Dunkel. So as Dr. Schreier talked about, palliative care is a newer field. Hospital doctors are the mission of an acute care hospital, and that's what we're a hospital now is that category, acute care. We're not end-of-life care. Our mission is really healing and curing. And realistically, though none of us want to think about it, we're likely all going to reach a point where we're past healing and curing. People naturally don't want to talk about that, and I understand that. But what we look at is, if you're in this situation and the doctors are at the point they can't heal or cure you, We can still provide care, and that's where palliative care comes in. Palliative care is caring. I do palliative medicine as a physician, but the team approach of a chaplain, a social worker, a nurse is a care team. So as we look at it, I need to often talk to these doctors or the nurse or somebody else, a physical therapist, a speech therapy therapist, kind of needs to nudge the doctor and say, you know, I think you need to call palliative care in. So it isn't inherent in our system yet. And it's absolutely fantastic that there's community palliative care. I am, could not be happier that this resource exists. So it is a challenge for me to get in. And I may not be called until 
it's really not the best time. It may be at that very end after the third or fourth admission and the person no longer is eating, drinking, they have wounds because they don't move and they don't feel pain. And that's when I have to talk about hospice as really the next appropriate best care. So I would love to catch patients earlier, but we're a new specialty, even though we've been around for a couple of decades. And we're a specialty that people don't embrace, especially until they get our services, until they work with hospice, and they're forever grateful for the hardest things they may have done in their lives with their loved ones. One of the things that I wanted to expand upon that Dr. Dunkel said too, was basically palliative care is really the relief of suffering. So if you imagine that patients that go into the hospital for whatever reason, you know, a palliative care team can assist them in the relief of that suffering, whether it be a medical symptom, whether it be pain, whether it be an emotional symptom. And then if you have a handoff, you can continue that work via the chaplain, via the social worker, via the nurse practitioner or the physician. You know, the exciting thing would be if we could even get upstream from Dr. Dunkel. <laughs> if our cardiology, our, our pulmonologist, our nephrology, oncology uh, associates would, how do I put this gently? Cause I don't want to sound critical, but I think Dr. Dunkel said it. They're all acute care physicians. They fix problems. Our society, goes to have a urinary tract infection treated, cured. But what palliative care does, it supports. It supports communication, it supports symptom care and management, it support, supports emotional care and management. And so it, 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 if it's along the way, as you progress with your life-limiting disease, it's just a gentler process. So I think it's exciting that we're able to actually have a conversation with our hospital palliative colleague and our outpatient team and even going into our hospice team. So it's an extraordinary service that we get to offer the community. And um, I'm very grateful to be part of it. Seems that we're offering an extension of the team that is in the hospital, in the hospital, uh -huh. to eliminate more of this revolving door of the hospital. And I and thank you, Dr. Schreier, you put it really beautifully. I want to go back to Robin as to what are the burdens of seeing, because you must see a lot of patients that go back to the hospital time and time again, but they, they are not ready to accept other services. What would you say to them, Robin? Um, it depends. It's very individual. It depends on the situation, how I talk to people about it but my approach tends to be pretty open-handed because I, you know, I feel that it's an honor to be brought in to be able to talk with people about something that is very difficult for them. And touching on what both doctors have mentioned is the, the back and forth to the hospital. I think it becomes a treadmill that it's very hard to jump off of for people and they don't know when the right time is. They really need help and guidance in that people get very accustomed to that intensive treatment all the time. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that there is another option for them a lot of the time until it's presented to them. 
So that is part of what I try to do is, again, find out what people's goals are and support them in that, but also try to highlight, okay, so you've been to the hospital this many times and you've struggled with many complicating factors. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Um, most of the time for people who've been in and out a lot, they say, I just want to go home. I just want to be home. I want to be surrounded by my family. I don't know how to make that happen though, because it's gotten too hard and there's too much going on. And it seems like this is the right place for me <laughs> right now. And so we're able to talk that through and brainstorm and talk about different options that are out there, including palliative care including possibly hospice care, if it's appropriate to talk about that and talk about the different services that are available that would provide support for them to be at home with, with their loved ones, including in the hospice piece. And what I didn't mention earlier is that we have awake working nursing staff around the clock. So that helps people feel a lot more comfortable about being at home because if then they experience something that is scary, they don't automatically call 911. Hopefully what they would do is call us and they would talk to a nurse on the phone and the nurse would assess what needs to be done. Maybe to send a nurse to their home at two in the morning or maybe they can help immediately on the phone. So there are a lot of supports out there for people and they just don't know unless they're told they don't know. I found the other thing that's been really interesting. I don't know if, if either uh, Dr. Junkle or Robin have found this out, but with friends through the years who have had you know, serious diagnoses or life-limiting diagnoses, I'll find that they call me and they'll say, what questions should I ask? What should I do? Where should I go? And after they have their doctor's visits, they'll say, oh my gosh, I never would have thought to ask that question. Thank you so much for telling me X, Y, and Z. And I think that goes back to palliative care. Palliative care assists. That's one of the things that palliative care can do is make sure patients or families understand the care they're getting, what the outcome from that care can be. Because if people, nobody wants to die. Most people don't want to die. But if you know that you, the therapy that you're being proposed has a 15% response rate, you may change your mind and say, wow, I've been through a lot. What really matters to me now that I know it's only a 15% response rate is to be with my grandchildren, is to you know, do some of the things that Dr. Dunkel suggested earlier in the talk, you know, a cruise, uh, a vacation, a popcorn night, a, a move a wedding up early that we didn't think we were gonna get to go to. So I think really breaking it down and understanding what is my diagnosis? Where am I on the continuum? What is my prognosis? What are my true uh, treatment uh, statistics? And you know, some people might say, "Gosh, side effects all go away." And we might say, "Well, you know, my hair is not going to come back." And they may say, "Well, that's unacceptable to me." Might be silly to another person, but it's all that matters to the patient. So helping them find out what matters to you and then supporting it can guide their journey, I think, in the most positive way possible. 
Thank you, Dr. Schreier. And as we close our conversation today, I would like to talk, knowing what's important to someone seems to be key to providing the best possible care for that person. Yet we know that a lot of people don't even think about what's important to them, nor do they complete their advanced care planning. So I would like you all to talk briefly about the, the need for more advanced care planning uh, before one hits the hospital or the hospital revolving door. Dr. Dunkel? So advanced care planning, desperately needed in the community in which we live. What an advanced care plan does is when we're not in crisis, we sit down and think about who's the best person to make medical decisions if I'm so sick that I can't speak for myself. That may not be your spouse. Your spouse might be intimidated by doctors. Your spouse may just not be able to cope with the thought of not having you there. They might say do absolutely everything. And in their mind, they're thinking that means everything that's gonna help them be cured. And they may not be able to think about the fact that everything may not be able to cure and fix. So we need, sometimes it's better to pick other people in the family. There are people who say, you know, my children are too young to be able to make the decision. I don't have a spouse. I think my parents would be better, even though the state law would say it would be my adult children. We know that most Americans, as we think about it, don't want to suffer is what we know from studies of them. At the end of life, we want to be comfortable in a nice place, surrounded by loved ones without suffering. If you don't write that down, Maybe someone who feels guilty or just can't bear the thought of losing you or keeps hoping that a miracle will happen may have you in a nursing home on a ventilator for years and years. And what we know is many people don't want to do that to their loved ones, to their children, to their spouses, because their love for them would be for their spouse or children to move on, move on and let them go to the earth or to heaven, whatever their beliefs might be. So advanced directives kind of are an insurance policy that your wishes are gonna be followed, your beliefs, your faith. And you make sure that your doctors get that, that you talk to people about it so that the person or persons who make decisions for you keep up with you and know what you want. Thank you, Dr. Duncan. Dr. Schreier, how does palliative care help with these advanced care planning decisions? One of the things I think that, uh, you know, Dr. Dunkel beautifully laid it out. Um, I think that what's helpful for family members is to realize that the advanced directive is the voice of the patient. And as family members, we, it is not our voice, but it is the voice of our loved one. So that's the beauty of actually having an advanced directive. Your voice as a patient can be heard instead of putting the pressure and the obligation on your loved ones to be a, a voice, which may not be your voice. So advanced directives are your voice, not your loved one's voice. Um, the other thing about advanced directives is that they oftentimes need to be revisited because you may feel very differently when you're young and have two small children as to when your children are grown and you have a life limiting disease, 
opposed to when you're actually at the end of your life. So most people would say, well, that's simple. When I have two young children, I want everything done. But also most people, when they get a new life-limiting diagnosis, want everything done. But most people, if they know they're at the end of their life, they want to be kept comfortable, like Dr. Dunkel said. They want to be in a place they call home, surrounded by loved ones and friends. Over 95% of Americans want that. So establishing advanced directives, making them appropriate as to where you are the continuum of your life, and then making sure that your loved ones know they don't have to be the voice, they have to be your voice. And I think it takes the pressure off and then your wishes will be followed. And it's the greatest gift you can give your family. Wonderful, beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. Robin, is there anything else you wanna add to the advanced care planning? Not really, really just to agree with what the doctors are saying and to, to say that every day in the hospital setting, I see the contrast between those who have advanced directives and those who don't. And the outcomes are so different. When there is an advanced directive, it's, it is such a blessing to the loved ones to not have the burden of making that decision alone and to not be wondering what their loved one would want. It is a loving thing to do for yourself and for your loved ones. And this happens to be Advanced Care Planning Month. So we are going to release this uh, webinar and podcast um, in celebration of that. And hopefully our listeners or viewers will pay attention and start looking. We're gonna put some resources on our webpage uh, to help people uh, with advanced care planning, putting some forms out there, the forms that are legally accepted in your state. If you're seeing it outside of Maryland, we will put all of these resources on our website. I wanna thank the panel. This has been a wonderful and very helpful conversation. Thank you very much, Dr. Dunkel, Dr. Schreier. Robin has been wonderful being with you. I thank you and thank you to our listeners and viewers. This was What's Important to You a podcast by Montgomery Hospice and Prince George's Hospice with one goal in mind, and that is to amplify the volume and the reach of diverse voices in healthcare. Thank you so much for being with us today.